Welcome. This is Jessica Ortner, and our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going on a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with me today. We have a great show in store as always. We are approaching the new year and with that there tends to be a lot of stress and a lot of shoulds. Like I should be exercising, I should be meditating, I should be doing more. Have you been shoulding all over yourself? I want to just take a step back and just take a nice deep breath with me right now and right here. Just a nice deep breath in and exhale. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you're choosing to do something good for yourself. And today we're going to learn a technique on how to begin to release some stress. But this is what I want to say to you. This whole new decade thing, 2020, you know, how we want to spend the new decade. Let's push ourselves. Let's make goals. If that is stressing you out, take it off your plate. Time is a construct. There's really no difference between this year and the last year. It's just a number that we have, 2020. And the reason I say that is because often that pressure can really hold us back and make us feel resentful or overwhelmed or not good enough. So if you've been hard on yourself, can you take it easy, please? Can you be kind to yourself? That's what I invite you to do. Today, we are talking about the three M's. The three M's are meditation, mindfulness, and manifesting. I'll be speaking to a friend, Emily Fletcher. I've been hearing about Emily all over the place. She has this technique, Ziva Meditation. And I found this conversation interesting because talking about these three M's and really distinguishing between the different types of meditation, I found to be incredibly helpful. And I was able to loop it back into my own tapping practice. So personally, it really helped me think of how I could take this knowledge and implement it into my life. She does have a great book and a great program that she talks about, but it's it's a fun conversation and an interesting one. Meditation isn't just about clearing your thoughts and not thinking of anything. There is something deeper than that. And when we begin to understand meditation better, we can either do it more or incorporate some of these concepts into our lives. So enjoy and I have to mention, like always, have you downloaded the Tapping Solution app? What are you waiting for? Go ahead. You're on your phone right now. Download the app. You will get access to free tapping meditations that you can use right away. My personal favorite is releasing anxiety. But if you're not feeling stressed, if you're feeling good, you can also go to Boost of Happiness. Why not? Just take five minutes to boost your happiness, to get that little pep in your step. So check it out by going to Google Play or your app store and download the tapping solution app. Enjoy the interview. Emily, thanks for being with us. What a joy to finally connect. I know we were joking earlier that I feel like we have the same friends and we go to the same places, but we just keep missing each other. Yeah, we go to the same places, but at different times. But at different times. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And we even had kids close to each other, so. Yes, it's so so funny. I'm so happy to finally get to connect with you because I've been a fan and I've also had my own friends just talk about you in the most lovely way. So, and I've, you know, in preparation for this interview, I've been reading your book, I've been watching your videos, and I just... 
love how you are so grounded and practical and everything that you teach is something that's really easy to incorporate. I think when it comes to meditating, sometimes things can just feel a little bit heady or hard to understand or a bit out there and you make it really practical. So thank you for everything that you do. And I'm excited to kind of dive in and talk a bit about meditation. I'd love to start with just your background because you have a really interesting background Um, You're not someone that I think many people would assume would get into meditation and create this path. I'm sure you're surprised by your own path. Can you tell us a little bit about your start with meditation and the transformations that you've had for yourself? Mm -hmm. So it is a bit unusual because I used to be on Broadway for 10 years. I was singing and dancing and acting. And my last show was a chorus line where my job was to understudy three of the leading roles. And that means you show up to the theater each night and you have no idea which character you're going to play. Sometimes I would just be hanging out in my dressing room doing my taxes and someone would get on a loudspeaker and say, Emily Fletcher, we need you on stage. And I would start panicking and then run down seven flights of stairs. Someone would throw me in a costume and then I'd be on stage before I knew who I was playing. And so I was basically living my life in this constant state of fight or flight, this constant panic. And that anxiety led to insomnia. I I couldn't sleep through the night for 18 months. I started going gray at 26. I started getting injured. And it was very confusing why I was living my dream and miserable because mm-hmm. I really thought that once I got on Broadway, it was going to be, you know, sunshine and roses, martinis with Liza at Sardis. <laughs> and instead, you know, I'm rocking myself in fetal position under the dressing room table, having panic attacks, listening to Eckhart Tolle on repeat in between shows. And I was like, this is not my dream. And so thankfully the woman sitting next to me in the dressing room, she was understudying five of the leads, including Cassie, which is a very very hard job. That's insanity. I didn't even know that was a thing that you literally have to learn lines for five different characters. Oh, forget about the lines. Try the choreography because everyone's doing the same dances, but Cassie does it on number five and Sheila does it on number seven and Judy does it on number two and Judy starts on the right, but Cassie starts on the left. So you have to know the same steps, but you start on the third count of eight. This character starts on the fifth count of eight and you have to hold all of their songs, all of their lines, all of their choreography in your head simultaneously. And you have to be ready to be thrown on at a moment's notice under terrifying fear. So (laughs) it's just, it's, it's really a torturous job. I don't know how anyone does it, (laughs) but it was the thing that led me to meditation. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, because this woman who was sitting next to me, like, even though she had arguably the hardest job on Broadway, this woman was crushing it. I mean, every song she sang, every dance she danced, every bite of food this woman ate was a celebration. And I was like, what do you know that I don't know? And she said, I meditate. And I rolled my eyes and didn't believe her because this was 11 years ago. And and I, I was like, oh God, one of you. But <laughs> then, you know, I just kept having insomnia, going gray and having, you know, just not performing at my best. And I thought, I have to try something. And so I went along to this intro to meditation talk. I liked what I heard. I signed up for this course. And on the first day of the first course, I was meditating. 
Now, to be honest, I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I was in a different state of consciousness that I'd ever been in before. And I liked it. And then that night I slept through the night for the first time in 18 months. And I have every night since that was 11 years ago. Well, you know, until postpartum, which that right. was, yeah, that was <laughs> breastfeeding, but yes. that's another podcast for another day. Yes. Um, but basically this tool improved my performance and my life so dramatically that I thought I have to share this with other people. So I left Broadway, I went to India and I started what became a three-year training process to teach this. Um, what I did was a bit more akin to getting your PhD in the Vedas, you know, it was thousands of hours of apprenticing, thousands of hours of meditating, hundreds of hours of transcribing books by hand in Sanskrit. And then once I graduated, I opened up Ziva here in New York. So we have a brick and mortar physical studio in New York City. And then we started the world's first online meditation training, which is now called Ziva Online. And as you said, the book came out this year, which has been such a fun ride and journey. Over 50,000 people have read it and I've taught 20,000 people to meditate, which I'm very proud of. And it's just been the most fun, rewarding beautiful journey. And I'm so thankful for it. It's amazing how things have transformed, even in the past two years, where people hear the word meditation, and they have some kind of understanding of what it is, or at least some kind of reference. So it doesn't seem so out there. And still, I feel like we're hearing a lot about it, but a lot, a lot of us lack an understanding of what that really is. I found it really interesting in your book that you broke down that there's a difference between mindfulness and meditation. Can you tell us what that difference is? Sure. So as you mentioned, like the Ziva technique is a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting the three M's. And um, it is really confusing for folks because like, we, what do you mean there's mindfulness and meditation? Are those the same things? Uh, but you know, it's so wonderful that this, it is, it is becoming so popular as of late, but where it gets a little confusing for folks is that all of the, the free apps, the drop-in studios, the guided videos on YouTube, these are all awesome, but they are teaching what I would call mindfulness. And I'm defining mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment, which is beautiful and necessary and powerful. And mindfulness is very good at dealing with your stress in the now. Like you get stressed at work, you come home, you do 10 minutes of headspace, you feel better in the now. It's a state change, like taking an aspirin when you have a headache. Now, the meditation portion of the Ziva technique is creating a trait change. It is actually getting rid of your stress from the past. All that stuff that we have stored in our cellular, and now we even know in our epigenetic memory, that's what the meditation is going after. And so mindfulness technique-wise is anytime you're directing your focus, you're focusing on your breath, you're counting your breath, you're imagining a waterfall, you're visualizing your chakras. Anytime you are consciously directing your awareness, I'm putting that in the category of mindfulness. So that would include any sort of guided quote unquote meditation. Now that's very different from Ziva, which is all about surrender. It's all about letting go. And it's all about giving your body very deep healing rest, rest that's somewhere between two to five times deeper than sleep. And that's interesting because when you give your body this deep rest, it knows how to heal itself, not only from the stress from today, but all that stress that we've been accumulating in our cells. And, and ultimately it is that eradication of the backlog of stresses that we have been storing in our body. That's what ushers us into higher states of performance. That's what allows our brains and bodies to function as they were designed as they, yeah. So 
it's interesting when you think about mindfulness, getting rid of your stress in the now, but meditation, getting rid of your stress from the past, because it's that slow accumulation. It's that low grade fight or flight that most of us have been in for decades. That is what is making us stupid, sick, and slow as a species. This is why Harvard Medical School is saying that stress is responsible for 90% of all doctor's visits. This is why scientists are calling stress the black plague of our century. It's not the one event. It's the chronic the fact that our food isn't food anymore. It's the flying, it's the traffic. It's the fact that we're not in the sun as much as we should be or having as much sex as we should be. You know, it's all the, the modern lifestyle buildup. That's what's disallowing us from performing at the top of their, of our game. And interestingly, when you start to get rid of that stress from your past, by doing what I would call meditation, that's where you start to really see a return on your time investment, right? Because if with the mindfulness, all you're doing is a state change, it might make you feel better in the now, but if you're not ultimately dealing with the root cause, if you're not getting rid of the backlog of accumulated stresses, then you're not going to be seeing the same increase in cognitive and physical performance, which is ultimately what gives you that return on time investment. Right. When people think of meditating, a lot of times they think about emptying their mind, clearing their mind, which makes me think that is more of the mindful technique. When you're talking about meditation in the sense of clearing the stress from the past, I mean, what does that really look like when someone's going through that process? Is it a process of clearing the mind? Is it having certain thoughts? Like what is, kind of talk us through a little bit about how, what that is, how to recognize it. Yeah. So I would actually say that this idea that you have to clear your mind in meditation is the number one misconception. And it's the reason why so many people feel like they're failing. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why so many people quit. Um, And it's because people like us, people with busy minds and busy lives are actually trying to do techniques that were originally designed for monks. So, you know, even Headspace, as user-friendly as it is, it's fun and animated. The guy who created it was a monk, you know, and so... Monastic techniques tend to be much more disciplined, much more focused, which is fine. But if you think about it, monks have the luxury of meditating all day. That is their (laughs) contribution to society, right? They're meditating in the caves all day. Whereas if you have a job and kids and you live in society and you have stuff to do, then you have less time in your day with which to meditate. So you actually need a technique that's even more powerful, something that's going to go in and give your body this deep healing rest so that you can show up as the most amazing version of you with your family, with your coworkers in society. And so they're just decidedly different techniques. And if you're not a monk and you try to do monastic practices, it, it's always going to feel hard. It's always going to feel frustrated or like you're failing. And I think that's why so many people try and quit. They're like, oh, I want to meditate. I've read all the science, but I just can't clear my mind. My mind is too crazy. So the really good news here is that the mind thinks involuntarily, just like the heart beats involuntarily. So the point of meditation and certainly of Ziva is not to clear the mind. I would say that the point of meditation is to get good at life you know, to improve your sleep, to improve your immune system, to improve your creativity, your intuition, your connectivity. That's how I gauge a successful meditation. Um, now that said, how does the meditation get rid of the stress from your past? Well, it's not therapy. Okay. It's not like, well, in this meditation, I'm going to 
quote unquote, meditate on my parents' divorce, or I'm going to meditate on my breakup. That's called contemplation. When you're actively choosing to think about something, it's called contemplation. I think we've accidentally used those terms as synonyms too often, and now it's confusing for folks. But meditation, what we're doing specifically at Ziva is that we utilize a tool. It's a meaningless primordial sound and it, the sound quality of these words, you could call them mantras, but that term mantra has also been very hijacked by the wellness industry. (laughs) Um, mantra in this day and age, people think it means slogan or affirmation, but actually mantra is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind and trut means vehicle. And so we're using these meaningless primordial mind vehicles to go in and de-excite the nervous system. Uh, and when you de-excite something, you create order. And when you create order in your body, this lifetime of accumulated stresses that we have in our cells can start to come up and out. So basically every time you've ever launched into fight or flight, it's left a little open window on your brain computer. And what we're doing in the meditation is that we're giving the body rest so that it can actually maximize those windows and then click X so that it's gone. Um, Probably not dissimilar from the tapping. I don't know a ton about the science of tapping, but I, I do think that there's some similarities in the release that's happening. Um, and, and so what we're doing here is we're just, it's basically like taking a supercharged power nap sitting up, but that's socially acceptable to do at work. And then on the other side, not only are you more energized, but because you've de-excited your nervous system, you've eradicated some of that, that backlog of stresses. So you have less stress in your nervous system on the other side. So you have more computing power and more energy available for the task at hand. Because it, by the time the average adult is 20 years old, we have approximately 10 million premature cognitive commitments or PCCs. And, and those are very much like these open windows on your brain computer. And imagine typing an email, but you had 10 million open windows on your computer. Chances are the cursor would be 20 spaces behind. And so what we do in the meditation is we go and we close down all those old irrelevant windows so that we can use the maximum computing and battery power for the task at hand. And this is really where we start to see the increase in performance. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. What I liked about reading your book is that there were certain aspects that it's really helpful to understand why this technique works. But some of those principles, I feel like are powerful to contemplate on their own, like this idea of surrendering. Can you tell us like, what does surrendering mean to you? And why is it something that can benefit us? So I tend to work with pretty high powered, high achieving folks. I live in New York city. And when I say the word surrender to them, they laugh and they're like, Oh, you want me to quit or give up? You (laughs) think it means weakness. Um, but I think nothing could be farther from the truth to me. Surrendering means trusting that nature has more information than we do. It's, it's trusting that we don't have all of the information because we're limited because we're human. And so it's it's surrendering at the feet of nature. It's allowing something greater than you to help you get to where you want to go. It in no way means quitting or giving up. And what I have found is that as you practice surrendering in the chair, because one of the big differences between mindfulness and meditation is that in mindfulness, you are concentrating. You are, there is a discipline, there is a focus, you're directing your attention. Whereas in the Ziva meditation style, it's all about surrendering. It's all about letting go. It's, it's much more like taking a nap sitting up than it is what we're used to seeing on Instagram with the fancy fingers and the cross legs and the perfect posture. 
And so as you start to practice this surrender in the chair and as your body is rewarding you for it, because you're, it's going to be flooding your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals, which feel really nice. So as you're not only training yourself, but even treating yourself for surrendering with your eyes closed, it becomes much easier to surrender with your eyes open. And then you start to find that you're in this flow state, that you're in this serendipity and synchronicity and that you're being guided and that you're much more open to all the cues that nature is giving us all the time. But oftentimes we're just too stressed or too asleep to see them. Mm. And so as you become more awake because of the meditation and as you are settling down and de-exciting your nervous system, you're able to start to hear your own intuition. And because you're surrendering, you no longer feel like you're exclusively in control because we love our illusion of control in the West. You know, we just really think that we're the ones driving the ship. But my analogy for this is one of... You know, in the, sh in the grocery store, the shopping carts that have the toy cars on the front of them and the kids will sit in the toy car yeah. and they think that they're driving the car. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, the mom is actually pushing the car and she's like, look how cute my kid thinks he's driving the car. Well, that's how I think God thinks about us humans. You know, we all think we're driving our lives and God's like pushing our shopping cart. We're like, look how cute they think they're in charge. Now that said, I don't think I'm not a hundred percent a fatalist. I think it's 50, 50. If you look at the human brain, it's 50% left brain, 50% right brain. And, and I think that nature does not make mistakes. I think it's 50% individuality and 50% totality. And where it, we make it harder for ourselves than we need to is when we try to make it 100% individual or 100% you know, universal. It's like, we have to do our work and we have to allow nature to do its work. And that to me is where this becomes a real, a real masterful dance. Yes. I feel like the majority of the time in nowadays when I'm feeling stressed and I t take a step back and kind of reflect, it's because I'm trying to control a situation like a hundred percent. My husband's like, stop hosting parties. If you're going to feel responsible for everybody's happiness and try to control <laughs> <laughs> that everything goes well. And it's interesting. Like you see it in a small thing like that. I noticed like when I would um, host a party, I just wanted everyone to have a good time that I just was like working in like having that false sense of control that somehow if I did everything perfectly, everybody would have a good time. And it, you, when you have that energy, it's like the opposite of joy. <laughs> yes. And then you, you, you're your acting. stress just makes all your guests stressed. <laughs> exactly. Like you're, I'm acting great, you know, but inside I'm like running around doing a million things. And this concept of, of like surrendering, I always have to remind myself. And then that's when like the fun, unexpected moments happen. And it's, it's true. Like we have this illusion of control and it's a dance because as you said, some things are 50, 50, like there's moments when my ability to think things through and think about every aspect make me really good at certain jobs, certain aspects of my career. And that same thinking also can get me into trouble if I'm not using it, if I'm not directing that kind of ability and energy in the right direction. Yes. And, and I think that where this becomes mastery is knowing where you are in the journey. Are you in the part of the journey where you need to be packing your parachute or are you in the part of the journey where you need to be jumping out of the plane? Right. And, and I think so often we're packing our parachute when it's time to jump out of the plane. Right. And then we're stressed and scared and we don't want to let go because we know we haven't done the, the proper preparatory work. 
and and this the same thing shows up in meditation. It's like if you are not if you never take the time to get trained and you don't have any tools or techniques and you don't know what success is or how to course correct, then you go into meditation and you're you're still packing your parachute. You know, you're you're controlling it and you're trying to focus, you're trying to clear your mind and you feel like you're failing. But if you take the time to do to pack your parachute and get trained, then when it's time to jump out of the plane, you can just let go. You can let yes. your body and nature heal as they they know perfectly well how to heal. Definitely. You're I feel like with meditating and I experience the same thing with tapping, you're experiencing a different form of energy by getting out of your head. Because I found I was having a conversation with a girlfriend actually this morning. She's going through just a tough time. She has this her company, there's this lawsuit. It's just messy and horrible. And she feels like a lot of it is out of her control, but she also has to work really hard um, to protect herself. And she was talking to somebody else who had a similar experience. And he said, you know, the moment I surrendered and thought, worst case scenario, I have to move, I'm just going to completely change my life and I'm going to be fine. Things were better. Now you can logically hear that. Like someone can tell you, listen, if you just surrender and you just trust, things are going to be easier. But in the moment, you're like, are you kidding me? Like everything I'm experiencing, all this stress is really real. And there's no way to get to that point of actually feeling a sense of surrender if you're just staying in your head and logically trying to get there. That's right. You can't think your way to surrender. And also, if you haven't packed your parachute, only an idiot would jump out of a plane. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, it's both. And you can't right. just say, let go, just see what happens. No, it's like you, you start surrendering. You can, you afford yourself the luxury of surrendering if you've done the preparatory work. And and that to me is very much meditation or tapping or therapy or, you know, whatever that work is, it's allowing you to really look at and heal the thing that even made you want to control to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, and w- what I find with meditation is that it's a micro practice. You're doing it every day, twice a day so that when the big decisions come so that when you're deciding turn right or turn left, you already know how to listen to that guidance. You're already so in tune with your own intuition or nature or whatever you want to call it. And you've been practicing what we call at Ziva following charm, which is kind of a hippy dippy way of saying, listening to your gut. But if you start to practice that on the micro level every day, when you get to the big things like a divorce or, you know, a big health decision or a job decision, it's not so scary because Mm -hmm. you've, you, you see that every time you listen to your gut and every time you let go, you are rewarded for it. And every time you try to control you are usually punished for it. You just make it harder than it needs to be. There's a beautiful line from the Vedas, which is that control is opposed to evolution because when you're controlling something, you can only do it from your left brain limited individuality. And if if we're not meditating, then basically it's like having a really great laptop with no ability to connect to the internet. Right. And in this day and age, if you're not getting on Wi-Fi it's like your computer isn't 
useful. One millionth of <laughs> yeah. as useful as it could be. Yeah. And, and, and we're putting too much stock on our intellect exclusively. And we're ignoring this whole other 50% of our brain, which is the right brain, which is in charge of intuition, serendipity, synchronicity, flow, music, connectivity, downloads, you know, downloading our creative ideas. This is all, these are all right brain functions. Yes. And so that's what meditation is doing. It's taking that other 50% of the brain to the gym so that when your eyes are open, you're firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I think one of the most dangerous myths that are out there is this idea that the stress gives us the ability to power through. I hear it all the time. Like if I, I'm in debt, but if I let go of the stress around it, it means I don't care enough. It means I won't take action. It means I won't make a change. I think we've addressed this a little bit, but I'd love to just be really clear on this aspect. Like what impact does, does stress have and why, why is it something that people hold on to? Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. I think it gives us the illusion of productivity. It gives us the illusion of being responsible or being an adult. Like, oh, if I stress out about my taxes, then I'm really being a good American. It's like, right. what? <laughs> you know, if we really stress out about my debt, then that it means I care. And nothing could be farther than the truth. Stress is making us stupid, sick, and slow. Period. The end. And, and when I, because I do work with, you know, Oscar, Grammy, Tony award winners, NBA players. Like I work with high achievers and I hear the same flavor of an excuse of, you know, Emily, I need my stress. My stress is the thing that gives me my competitive edge. I hear that from my CEOs. And then from my actor folks, I hear Emily, I need my stress. This is where my art comes from. My, you know, my hurdy poos are where my creativity comes from. <laughs> and, and to that, I say, look, if you can run a marathon with a rock in your shoe, try taking the rock out of your shoe. It's not going to take away your ability to run the marathon. It's just going to make it a much more enjoyable experience. And if we want to really understand the physiology of this, we have to cut back in time about 10,000 years. Let's say we're hunting and gathering in the woods. Saber-toothed tiger jumps out with the intent to kill. Body's going to launch into a series of chemical reactions. One thing that happens is digestion floods with acid to shut down digestion because you need all of your energy to fight or flee the tiger. Your bladder and bowels evacuate so you can be light on your feet to fight or flee. The acid that shut down your digestion will then also seep onto your skin so that you don't taste very good if the tiger bites into you. Your blood thickens and coagulates so you don't bleed to death if you get bitten. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by a tiger. And this, and the adrenaline levels and cortisol levels increase, you know, which can lead to erectile dysfunction, infertility, premature aging, you know, you name it. And so this series of chemical reactions is very useful if your demands are saber-toothed tigers, but if your demands are in-laws or kids or book launches or job interviews, then the fight or flight thing has become maladaptive. Mm -hmm. It is now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game. And so the stress really is not doing us any favors in the productivity department. There's a reason why you can't find your keys when they're in your hand, when you're rushing to get out the door. <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one. No, you're that. not the only one. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why we're, we can't find our glasses when they're on top of our head and we're freaking out about where our glasses are. It's because so much of our mental and physical energy is preparing for an imaginary tiger attack. Mm -hmm. Our modern day demands 
are no longer predators. You know, 99.9% of the time, if you're listening to this podcast on your iPhone, chances are your number one demand is not a saber toothed tiger. And so this fight or flight thing, it's just our bodies haven't yet quite evolved out of it. Now, if you get jumped in a back alleyway, please get stressed. You know, like it's not bad for you to get stressed. What's killing us is the staying stressed. And that's why it's so important for us to incorporate the tapping, the meditation, the therapy, because it's not only is it making us individually stupid, sick, and slow, but stress, unfortunately, is a communicable disease. And so if you are stressed, so are your kids, mm-hmm. so are your spouse, so are your coworkers. And it's not like we think, oh, I'll just hold the weight of the world on my shoulders, but you're not doing that alone. You're contaminating your household. You're contaminating your work environment. Now, the beautiful converse of this is that bliss is also a communicable disease. (laughs) So as you heal yourself, you also help to heal the collective. You know, the happier you are, the happier your family's going to be. The more productive you are, the more productive your team is going to be at work. Talk about motivation right there. Sometimes we need to, it's so much easier to do something for others at times, especially now being a mom. If I really think about what I'm sharing with my child, I mean, what motivation it's, it's an incredible amount of motivation for me to, to do the work. And the other thing that's really interesting about just this concept of really taking a step back and looking at stress. I have found that when people begin to really take it seriously and begin to create these shifts with meditating or tapping or whatever it is, they almost always say to me, I didn't even know how stressed I was because unfortunately it's become our new normal that I think a lot of people are just so stressed out and they don't even know it until they experience something different and they go, wow, I cannot believe the tension and the stress that I had before. I think that that is right on. As a matter of fact, our mutual friend, Dr. Mark Hyman, he said the same thing. He's like, I didn't think I was anxious. I didn't think I was stressed. And then I started meditating and I realized just how anxious I was. You know, he says, you know, for the few minutes a day that I invest in meditation, I get back three hours of productivity in my day. And this guy was already extraordinarily productive. And, and so it's, but it is, it's like that white noise on in the background that you don't even know is there. You don't even know how many cycles it's burning until it goes away. And then people find themselves with so much more time, so much more energy. Their sleep is so much more efficient. Their immune system is stronger. They're their decision-making capabilities are more clear. And then it's like, oh yeah, you, you invested 15 minutes in the meditation, but you got back hours in your day yes. because of, of what you start to realize just how much stress is costing you. Absolutely. Well, Emily, I have two questions I like to ask every new guest. And, um, the first question is, could you share something with us that when it happened seemed horrible, but then ended up becoming a great blessing? Oh, how long you got? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, my whole life. Um, but I'll give you a recent example with work. Um, we were hiring, thankfully the company is growing really quickly and we've been hiring a lot of new roles and we were going to hire this person and we just, we, the whole team fell in love with her. She was so smart. She was so talented. And we ended up actually creating a whole different job description for her because she had so many skills and, I, we went through weeks and weeks of interviewing and, you know, I called her references and we had a social gathering with the whole team and I made her the offer and she said, okay, I just, I, as a professional courtesy, my old boss just 
you know, if he wants to speak to me on Monday, let me just speak to him and then I'll accept the offer. And she, she speaks to her boss on Monday. One of the references I had checked and he offers her a position (laughs) and then she accepted it. And so we were so excited about this candidate. We had invested months in interviewing her and then she didn't take the job. And it was just, it felt like a punch in the gut. And we were short staffed already because someone had left and someone was on maternity leave. And it just felt like a tragedy in the moment. And then we ended up hiring a developer, like, uh, like a computer developers. And the, the long and the short of it is had we hired the original person, we never would have hired a full-time full stack developer. And that was a thousand percent the right decision and the right way for Ziva to go because, you know, our Ziva online, which is our online training is, is now 90% of the company. And so there's, we needed a, a real tech person on our team. So point of the story is that it felt like a punch in the gut, but now that we have a developer, which we would not have hired had we hired that original candidate. Um, so we're in a much better spot now. And so I don't know if that's as, I could have gone with a more spiritual example, but I went more But listen, I think, I think that we all have to be reminded in those moments when things aren't going as planned and we are trying, we have that kind of sense of control. We're doing everything right. The interviews are going right. We're ready to commit to something and then it doesn't work out it's so important to be reminded that oftentimes we are being redirected to something better. It's so hard in that moment. But when we have these stories and these references, it's so much easier to have that reminder that if we just stick with it, we might come to discover that something even better is around the corner. That's right. I call it my Muggsy moments because I don't think I really fully understood that lesson until I was adopting a dog about six years ago. And we fell in love with this one dog and we put in our application. It got approved. My friend called me and was like, you're getting the dog. I went to the pet store. I got beds and leashes. And then three hours later, they called me and they said, the foster parents are going to keep the dog. And I sobbed like I had lost a child. Like I, I don't know what, I mean, that sounds minimizing to people who have lost a child. And now that I have a child, I think that that's disrespectful, but it was horrible. But you sobbed. I I mean, like on the floor of my studio in fetal position, crying my eyes out. And then like two weeks later, I went on Pet Finder and found our now dog named Muggsy, who is quite possibly my soulmate. Like (laughs) there's never been a better fit of a dog and a human. And if you follow my Instagram, you'll see lots of Muggsy. So anyway, that, that was a real lesson for me as well. And now anytime this happens, I'm like, oh, this is a Muggsy moment. (laughs) Yes. I love that. It's so good to have that reference a Muggsy moment. Uh, okay. My last question, just for fun, if you could be any animal, what would you be and why? Well, I mean, now I want to say Muggsy. Besides Muggsy, yeah. <laughs> I could be any animal. I think a cheetah. Ooh. Because wow. they're just so sleek and strong and fast and sexy. I love that. <laughs> I, I just think it's a great question. No one asks that. It's a weird question, but it's actually a brilliant question because I think it shows a little bit about like someone's values or what they like. You know, mm-hmm. sleek and sexy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us where we can get your book and stay connected with everything that you do. Yeah. So the easiest place to find all of it is simply zivameditation.com. And I know Ziva is kind of a weird word, but it's Z-I-V-A 
meditation.com. And the book is called stress less accomplish more. It's available anywhere books are sold and people can also check out the online course. It's called Ziva online. Um, and then we're all over social media, just at Ziva meditation. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for being with us. What a fun conversation. Thank you for having me. 